0: Minister Coveney, thank you so very, very much for making time for the Good Summit. Um, we know that you are unable to join us. We're playing this just after the panel, by the way, so whether there was any physical injury during the panel discussion, I've no oh idea. Uh, I hope not. I know that you're doing something much less interesting, like attending Cabinet and running around or something like that.
1: Yeah. Uh, to be honest with you, I would much rather be live with you uh, <laughs> or would have been live with you at the previous session because I'm sure it was fascinating but look I'm delighted to have done this pre-record and hopefully uh hopefully people will find it interesting well it is really decent
0: of you to make this time so thank you and coincidentally we
1: are talking on the
0: day that you attended a service for Hope and Hope and Remembrance Hope I I forget the title Hope and Reflection uh, up in Armagh and I watched it on TV and I was really touched by the creativity and the hope that went in to, to putting that service together. Can I ask you, on this day where well, you've just arrived back, what were your reflections on, on having a, attended such an important day?
1: Well, first of all, I'm very glad that I was there. Um, I found it quite inspiring. Um, uh, I think the church leaders went to extraordinary lengths to try to ensure that this was not Uh, a celebration or a commemoration of anything. Instead, it was a reflection of the last hundred years. But more importantly, it was using the reflection on the last hundred years and the hurt and the pain and the division um, to galvanize people in their determination to make sure that the next hundred years is very different. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. And the most impactful speakers actually were were young people. And um, from my experience in um, in Northern Ireland and I've been up and down a lot in the last number of years often the most poignant moments are delivered by young people you know um, whether that was at the Lear McKee's -McKee's funeral um, or whether it was uh, today which um, you know listening to young people in Northern Ireland speak about the future that they want uh, which needs to be very different what what did they say Um, well, I mean, they, they, as young people do, and you know, I, I experienced this as a father, they, they tend to, to speak uh, a logic that comes from the heart, uh, which is we want uh, the place that we live in to be welcoming, to be diverse, to be accepting uh, of, uh, of all people who live here as neighbours. Um, and really, I think they were painting A vision of a future and asking the questions of political leaders now um, Really to reinforce the point that they don't want What we've had uh, in the context of the last hundred years and in particular the last 50 um, uh, In their their lives uh, shaping their lives and um, You know, I think that message in many ways is reinforced by church leaders talking about their own personal stories, Mm -hmm. apologising effectively Mm -hmm. on behalf of their their churches for not doing more when maybe they could have. Uh, I thought it was a it was a very honest um, effort uh, to uh, to allow everybody in the church, uh, regardless of your background or your uh, version of history, um, to to be able to think about their own stories. Um, and, and as I say, reflect on that and project that project that to a determination to make things different in the future.
0: What do you say to those, what what did you say to those young people afterwards? Or what do you say to young people and young adults watching this about their role in building that future? Because it's one thing, And it it can be quite brave to stand in front of senior politicians. You know, you were there, the prime minister of the UK was there. That takes a certain amount of courage to to stand and say what what we want. What does it take for young people to actually uh, not, I suppose, not just have a voice, but believe that that voice matters?
1: Well, the first thing it takes is to make a choice, you know, and young people today are better educated than they've ever been. They're more confident, I think, than they've ever been. Uh, I'm privileged to have three daughters, um, 12, 10 and 8. And they ask me searching questions at times. Remarkable innocence, but searching questions um, because they see me on the television in different places. And they ask questions as to why things are the way they are. And, um, and you know, they, on the way into the church today, there were lots of 10 and 11 year olds uh, from mm-hmm. different schools mm-hmm. around our ma- different backgrounds different communities uh, and they were like any 10 or 11 year old shivering in the cold waiting to meet politicians that they don't really know or understand um, but they were the same as 10 and 11 year olds in Cork where I live um, but, um, but they are a reminder um, of the responsibility that people like me have because it's you know if we don't create the conditions to allow them to live in the absence of the kind of strife and violence and polarisation and hatred that their parents have lived through, then this is a form of generational theft. You know, that that my generation of political leadership is allowing that poison to continue in society in a way that doesn't need to be there. And, you know, I find that challenge quite emotional, actually. Yeah. Um, like, it's interesting because I, you know, I have lots of interesting jobs in my job. I'm a mm-hmm. minister for defence, minister for foreign affairs. I last month had the privilege of chairing the UN Security Council in New York, and but I think about Northern Ireland more than I think about anything else, mm-hmm. um, because you know this this is our island, mm-hmm. um, and while we have to intervene in places like Yemen and Ethiopia and Libya and. Um, Syria and so many other incredibly tragic places, Um, Afghanistan most recently. Um, You know, the most powerful thing that Ireland can do, North and South, and Ireland and Britain can do together, is to lead by example. And if we can't sustain, because we have a peace process, that works by and large, but if we can't sustain and build on that ourselves, how can we inspire other parts of the world that have problems that are many, many multiples of ours Mm -hmm. in terms of tragedy. Uh, If we can't do it ourselves and show that it can be done, um, then I think we've got to ask ourselves some very serious questions. Uh, And so so it comes from a 10-year-old asking an innocent question to a nearly um, 50-year-old who is in their prime politically uh, in terms of influence and energy. Uh, to try to make things happen. And, you know, for all of those reasons, first of all, it was right for me to be there today. Uh-huh. Um, but, uh, but equally and more importantly, to take inspiration from some of the messages we heard today and some of the humility that we heard today, in particular from church leaders, um, to uh, to try and change a trend um and a momentum in Northern Ireland which for a number of years now has been really quite negative let's be honest Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. and of course to change a trend and momentum between the British and Irish governments Mm -hmm. you know but because of circumstances and um you know I would say that the the relationship between the British and Irish governments at the moment it's not that it's filled with animosity or anything but it is just distant um and that needs to change because we haven't A very real responsibility to ensure that the the futures of the kind of young people that were very inspirational this morning in Armagh can rely on their leaders to make responsible decisions and instead of focusing on who's right all the time focusing a little bit more on compromise um, Mm -hmm. um, so that we can we can move things forward in a way that everyone can live with. Mm
0: -hmm. Can I ask you how on earth can a bunch of young adults, can a bunch of school kids learn to develop the sort of relationships that you have just said need to help build the future?
1: Well, I mean, I think, first of all, as I said at the start, and I maybe didn't elaborate well on it, you need to make a choice mm-hmm. to be a force mm-hmm. for good. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I really believe that in life. You know, it's, it's easy to drift into being part of the crowd, you know, and peer pressure will suck you into that. You know, if you grow up in a, working class loyalist community, it's easy just to allow yourself to do what is expected of you, or, or in a you know, nationalist community, a republican community, um, and you know, if you want to be a force for change, well, you've got to challenge some of that. Now, that's not easy, no. and it involves risk sometimes, and you need to be clever about it, because if you try to change things too quickly, you get isolated and rejected, um, uh, and you lose your capacity to change other people. Um, but, but, but this starts with making a choice and saying to yourself, I want to change things, for the better. I want to be a force for good. That's what drives most people into politics. It's what, um, but you can be a force for good through working with a non-governmental organisation. You can be a force for good through a religious organisation. You can be a force for good in business. You can choose to be a force for good in your family, uh, in your your classroom, Mm -hmm. uh, in your peer group, um, and sometimes it's simply questioning norms. uh, Maybe introducing some new thinking. um, Maybe saying that the people who live in the housing estate next door, maybe they're not so bad. Maybe playing Gaelic football isn't so alien. Um, Maybe playing cricket Is something I could be good at, even though um, some might see it as a foreign sport. Like these are fifty. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, but these are these are. This is the questioning that I think young people now have. You know, and I've been quite taken by. We have this project in the in the Irish government at the moment called the Shared Island Initiative. Yeah. uh, Where we're we're putting half a billion euros of money behind it into trying to create projects that work for both north and south, that bring people together that show that if we do things together, we can be powerful uh, agents for change. Um, And in some of the meetings that we've held around this project, we've had a lot of young people speaking. And it really has struck me that there is a generation now in Northern Ireland that is asking the question uh, and is saying, I actually don't want a label on my back. I don't want to be forced to choose. um, I have other priorities um, and, um, and I think there is a questioning now um, of this sort of tribalism whereby you have to be one or the other and if not you must be somehow sort of lost in terms of your identity um, and this is the complexity of, of the challenge in Northern Ireland because there is no majority any longer, there's no unionist majority, there's no nationalist majority and we have to find a way of living together. Um, And we have to look to the future of this island and its well-being with new perspectives and new ideas. And, And a new generation need to take on that responsibility, too, over time, to be challenging people like me, who are the present generation of decision makers. But the way politics works, you know, young people take charge of their future and force change. It's happening in terms of climate action at the moment. Um, uh, it's happening also in terms of um, uh, approaches towards diversity. Um, um, you know, I come from. Um, I just give this example because I think it makes a, an mm-hmm. interesting point. Like when I was a child in the late seventies, um, my family used to to foster um, young children, and we we fostered a, a young boy called Francis, who was um, uh, who was originally from Nigeria, and um, and. Uh, And I, one of my earliest memories is walking hand in hand with Francis. We were both about six or seven years of age through the main street in Cork and literally the crowds were parting because it was the first time they'd ever seen a black boy um, on the streets of Cork city. And and I think of now like dropping my kids to school and picking them up and seeing so many different skin colours, traditions, religions, languages. You know, Ireland has become such a multicultural place, and and actually, when you think about that change, it's also a context around how we think about the future of this island too, in the context of a modern diversity, the way in which we see our place in the world, Um, uh, and I think you know, as we think about these big constitutional questions in the future around what the majority of people north and south on this island will choose to do um, under the structures of the Good Friday Agreement, I think we've got to try to think about that maybe in a new way uh, in the context of that diversity of identity that's now growing on this island north and south with a much more generous modern view but it'll be it'll be this young generation who I think will actually dominate that debate over time. Um, and, uh, and, and the real choice for that young generation is, you know, do they want to be a force for good in that context? Or do they want to stay in a comfortable place on the basis of the tribe that they've grown up in? How um, do
0: you inspire uh, them to do that? Because that's vital and it's so important. You're, you're right. How can we? you know I'm actually at uh, round about the same age as you and I've been in church leadership and, and some forms of leadership for decades and it's I was a youth worker for for yeah. for 20 years how do we um I, I'm actually I'm really thinking about you and your daughters I have three stepdaughters who are about the same age as as, as, the, as your daughters mm. and so I I really um I, I smile at the school runs and, and I smile at the questions that they ask you how, what are the difficult questions that your daughters ask you about the future about well, what you're doing?
1: Well, we had a lovely moment in um, I have a very good friend who's a priest in Derry. Um, he's uh, responsible for the cathedral there. We're the same age, uh, almost to the week. And um, we developed this very strange relationship years ago. Uh, he wrote to me uh, about social issues and social change and, and then invited me to come and give a speech in, um, in Derry Cathedral. They have a week each year where they, where they bring in outside speakers to sort of give Sermons, rather than, rather than the priest doing it, and um, mm-hmm. and I was asked to do it, and I was kind of intrigued by the challenge. And he uh, he said to me, "Look, the theme is," and I didn't know him at all before this. He said, "Look, I, you know, i just heard you on the media a bit. You know, I think you could inspire our congregation. Would you come up and talk?" So I was like, first of all, I'd never been to Derry, and I'd certainly never been to Derry Cathedral, and I was fascinated by going. Um, and um, so I said to him, "Well, what do you want me to talk about?" And he said, the theme is, when we are weak, we are strong. Wow. And I said, uh, do you want me to send you a draft speech or something? He said, no, I want to hear nothing else from you, except when you come and speak on the night. So I was like, well, wow. this, this guy's fascinating. I was, I was assuming that he was, he was a priest in the sixties and seventies. As it turns out, he was the same age as me. So I, I, I went and I spoke and it was actually a fantastic experience. The church, uh, the, the, the cathedral was packed. Uh, I was expecting it to be empty. Um, and, um, and ever since then we struck up this relationship. So I go back and forth to Derry quite a bit. So I was, uh, I was telling my children about the peace bridge in Derry because I was trying to explain to them about the history of Northern Ireland Mm -hmm. and, you know, different communities living apart, um, and having this sort of polarized relationship on the basis of identity. And, and, um, so anyway, I decided I'd bring them to Derry for the weekend. Um, and uh, so we, we, we walked the walls of Derry and I walked through uh, different parts of Derry that have sort of extraordinary history and tragedy and told with murals and so on. But the most powerful moment was we, we, we went to Peace Bridge because my 12 year old daughter, she's now 12, she was only 10 at the time. Um, she wanted to see this Peace Bridge that I had been using as a, as a sort of an example of, uh, of, of division. That, pe- that we were trying to um, respond to by physically building a bridge. And so, but my, my, um, my youngest daughter was too interested in a, in a busker who was playing music. But my other two daughters came with me and we sat on the ground on the bridge halfway across. And I had 10 minutes with them uh, telling them uh, through the imagery of the bridge about the history of Northern Ireland, and it, it was fascinating because every time I think about it, it's it, it's a reminder for me of of the responsibility to to ensure that that the stories on that bridge that they heard are are part of history rather than part of the present, mm. um, and and that her generation simply will not accept um, uh, what we've had in the past. Um, so so um yeah so I, I don't know how i got to that conversation but that's uh, well, I, I but i think it's you, a nice analogy yeah it's
0: it's it's a beautiful story actually I asked you what you know what what your daughters say yeah. and, and and what you told me is that you talk to your daughters oh gosh, I yeah it's well, a really yeah. important part of how we communicate as humans and teaching people i, I have a suspicion that we don't teach people to think anymore I think that the that the arrival of technology, one of the things that's gone by the wayside is that education is fantastic in many ways, but we're not teaching people to think. And I think the only way to bat that back is have conversations.
1: So yeah, but I, I think there's a danger in the thought process today and in politics of today. That you rarely hear a a comprehensive debate today that gives two sides of the same argument what you get is headlines and action points and that can be sold quickly on social media that can i mean for me you know the social media tools that i use are far more effective now than the the department issuing a press release with all the detail no one reads it that's the truth Mm -hmm. not not even the journalists uh, who are writing about it um, and so it's all about now getting getting a sharp, short, emotive message to get noticed. And if you're a child growing up in that atmosphere, that's all you're reading, and you're and you're reading a thousand of them a week, you know, as opposed to um, um, immersing yourself in the detail of of arguments, which which don't have to be complicated, but but are are nevertheless thoughtful and. And so I think it is true, you know, we, we, we are in the immediate all the time yeah. uh, and that has great strengths, actually, because it means that young people experience a lot quickly, but it also carries with it huge risks because it often uh, doesn't allow them to get seriously under the, the surface mm-hmm. of what actually drives and motivates certain actions. And it tends to oversimplify problems in, in terms of their solutions. Mm-hmm um in a way that isn't realistic and then of course politics fails because because the expectations to deliver are there all the time and some things just can't be delivered quickly Um, and then and i think that then generates the kind of fragmentation of politics that we've seen quite frankly all over the world do you feel the pain of that because i've been really struck by how many times you've talked about
0: responsibility does the fragmentation of politics does that cause you pain at all
1: well, I mean, I do, um, you know, my relationship with political unionism is is quite fraught. Um, Brexit has driven that more than anything else. Um, sometimes I think that because I'm kind of telling people as it is, um, I'm trying to be truthful about what the realities are, um, that, that sometimes I'm accused of being provocative because that's my style. Um, but look, you know, I mean, I, I, I think I need to work on those relationships more, and I will, um, I, but you've got to have willing partners to do that too. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, you know, I think the, the difficulty of the last number of years is that when the pressure comes on to the political systems in Northern Ireland and those pressures are linked with identity, then people tend to get drawn back into Tribal views uh, and away from where we were moving towards, which was integration, generosity, diversity. So, so the, the 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 point I'm making is that we have allowed the fragilities of politics in Northern Ireland, and by the way, south of the border. Like this isn't just. And I know if I was in Northern Ireland and I heard a politician from south of the border kind of lecturing me on the fragilities of Northern Ireland, I'd get a bit irritated by it, um, um, but it's its just true that the political structures that are in place following the Good Friday Agreement are fragile. They force parties to work together that wouldn't normally do so. Um, and and so, so that is a fragile structure, um, but it's the only one we've got, and it's the foundation stone for all of the positive things that have flown, uh, are, that have come since 1998 in the context of the absence of conflict and so on. Um, but, but when something comes out of left field, like Brexit, which essentially is not about bringing people together, but actually forcing difference, I think the youth community has been pulled in different directions. Many of, many of them voted against Brexit, but have found that their identity has become now dragged into this debate and therefore they're in a very difficult position. So like I do understand that that this has been a very difficult journey and I've been part of, I suppose, that difficulty for some. Um, But we've got to find a way of of settling some of these questions now Mm -hmm. uh, in the context of the protocol, how it works um, so that we can get back to actually what a peace process is about, Mm -hmm. which is um, compromise, acceptance, respect, uh, a bit of humility, um, um, managing legacy uh, with responsibility and and some generosity. Uh, And and what I mean by legacy is sort of the the pain of the past so that we we, we can make this separation that's necessary so that we don't pass on this weight of trauma and pain and difference to our children and, you know, the reason why it's so important is that, and people forget this sometimes, but like when I go to other parts of the world that are torn apart by conflict, like it is often said to me, we're trying to use the template of the Irish peace process mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. tell me how the Irish peace process has made this happen. Because when you're in a country that's torn apart by conflict, you tend to look for templates that have actually worked somewhere else, you know, because you, you want to, you, you want to grasp onto a hope that it's possible to change things and to make, a, to make it different. Mm-hmm. And it's very hard to do that if, if you can't find an example that's worked somewhere else, you know. Mm-hmm. And that's why, mm-hmm. that's why um, the people who made the Irish Peace Process work. Um, and many of them don't realise it, but they inspire others in other parts of the world to be able to say and face people down to say, look at what the Irish did. It can be done, uh, 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 even though they were killing each other and blowing each other up. Um, and um, so, you, you know, we have a responsibility to ourselves and our children, uh, but we also, I think, have a, have an obligation to be an example for many, many vulnerable, in many cases, desperate people who need, who need an example of um, and no, no two peace processes will ever be the same, mm-hmm. but but they can be an example of of how a country can can change and heal um, and build something positive mm-hmm. from some, from a pretty awful place. So, so the the, the uh, I hope this isn't too highbrow now for everybody who's listening, but it's it, it's because we're listening to a, because most of the people who are listening are young people at different um, stages, just, just think about you know, your own responsibility as the most educated young generation ever on this island um, and the awfulness of what many of your parents and grandparents went through and just make a choice that you are not going to tolerate that kind of future for yourself and your children whenever you have them uh, and that's the starting point to say, no, we are not going to allow that to happen. And then you've got to figure out the incremental changes that you can influence, whether it's talking to your parents or talking to your teachers or asking the question, why am I not in an integrated school? Why am I not in an integrated school in Northern Ireland? Uh, Why is it that only 7% of young people in Northern Ireland share a classroom with somebody from a different religion? Why is that? you know, surely it's the place to start. We anticipated that when the Good Friday Agreement was signed that actually integrated education would become over time, you know, the dominant approach to education because it's such an obvious thing to do. So when young people meet each other, they connect with each other, they understand each other, they trust each other. Um, Then they, they don't accept the kind of tribalism that sometimes follows when they get a bit older. And, um, you know, it it was interesting, one of the senior church leaders today was giving the example himself of when he grew up in East Belfast and he was living in a community that had both Catholics and Protestants and Nationalists and Unionists. And and he was saying, you know, what was interesting at the time was we kind of got along and liked each other on a superficial level, but we didn't trust each other. You know, and I think that said an awful lot. And you kind of get that in politics, too, you know, in the executive parties, work with each other, they get along with each other because they need to. But do they trust each other? No, they don't, Um, because they have to answer to their own to their own communities. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so so that's what I think the next generation of young people, north and south, by the way, um, need to bring to this debate. They've, they've got to question some of these perceived norms of lack of trust, um, and they've got to say it's not good enough, you know. And um, and I, I I'm a big believer in, in in integrated education being one of the one of the great sort of pragmatic solutions to that to that conundrum, because if you're living apart, you're living apart, <laughs> you know. If you don't meet the person next door, why would you trust them? And you'll believe what your community tells you about them, as opposed to actually hearing it from them and talking to them and, um, and breaking down those barriers. So look, you know, I'm—I uh, I always caveat what I'm saying by by saying I know I'm speaking from from a different place in terms of my own upbringing and, in many ways, a very privileged upbringing, um, um, without much of the strife or pain that many of. Uh, many people living in Northern Ireland have to have to live with, and you know, there's, I don't know, 40,000 people who were injured during the Troubles significantly. You know, 4,000 of them were killed. Um, it's a heavy, heavy burden to carry, um, but but a 10-year-old in Armagh shouldn't have to carry it. And that's that's what what needs to motivate my generation to to make it different.
0: Minister Coveney thank you for your time thank you for your words thank you for your inspiration this is the good summit and you have talked about neighborliness you've talked about generosity you've talked about hospitality you've talked about education you've talked about understanding you have hit everything that we are striving for so thank you so much for inspiring us and helping us to keep doing what we're doing and well, um,
1: thank you sir i hope so and uh hopefully we can we can try to practice what we preach because it's it's one thing to talk about it. It's another thing to actually uh, to make it happen, which is really where it matters. So thank, thank you. you. It's been, it's been yeah. a pleasure. Thank yeah. you.